and welcome to What Goes Around podcast. And this week, Anne and myself are finally in the same place, and it happens to be a farm. I ordered a bunch of left-handed What Goes Around mugs. I had one job. And I bigged up Bandcamp for the work they have done for all the struggling artists during these difficult times. And I tell uh, the rather embarrassing story about how my friend scratched probably a quite expensive Northern Soul record owned by Corner Shop. And then we just give a little nod to the hardcore activists rebels that are K-pop fans. And our special guest today is the wonderful Karen Arthur. Hello and welcome to What Goes Around. We are, for the first time in three months, in the same place at the same time. I'm so thrilled. There's no internet feed between us. (laughs) Thrilled to be here, Eamon. On this park bench with you with some crazy farmyard noises (laughs) going on in the background there. So, uh, now we've had, this is our second location that we've tried to record at today. We started off down an alleyway in Deepest Darkness Hackney. And uh, it got a bit crazy, really. There was a guy zooming up and down the moped. And, uh, yeah, it's all a bit weird. So we left there, and then we've come to the comparative quiet and sanctuary of Agaston Park, except for it's right behind Hackney City Farm, and there's a goose having a fit. I think it's a goose <laughs> and a donkey having some kind of disagreement. <laughs> it's like a, a donkey-goose rap battle going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's good, though. Oh, it's nice to be in... And there's a cockerel right on there the There we go. These noises are going to sound fake. They're such authentic farmyard noises. Well, you know, for everyone who's been inside for a, a long, long time, it'll be quite nice, won't it, to hear a little mm. bit of uh, nature. That's and, true. Uh, you know, things that remind you of Hackney, gunshots and sirens <laughs> and squirrels and Mopeds geese. Mopeds and geese. Slightly overcast day today. It's been really stinkingly hot. Rainy. Yeah, it's muggy today, though. It's frizz, yeah, frizzy hair You know, weather. muggy's my least favourite. Me too, 100%. Actually. And we were just saying before we started recording, Eamon has this new mask on, which is more of a bandido style yeah. um, bandana. I couldn't, I couldn't take the whole um, wearing the surgical thing. So I've gone for, um, you know, train robber or maybe uh, like an extra from the Dukes of Hazard or something. <laughs> but it's one of those classic cowboy neckerchiefs that pull over. It's quite scary when it covers half of your face. You look like you're in some kind of documentary about suburban drug dealer or something. Um, but also I'm, I'm breaking in these new sandals and I've got socks on and my feet are just bleeding out. Actually, it seems to have stopped bleeding now, but well, it's, that's still, good. it's still not a good look. The trouble with the bleeding is that you've got fluorescent yellow socks on. Yeah, so, the socks so it's, are the It's whole, quite clear where you're bleeding from. I mean, the, sock, the, the fluorescent socks are the whole thing. I put on an, an outfit today. This is an outfit. Yeah, it's the first time yeah. I've worn an actual outfit that I've thought about in a long time and now just fucking bleeding everywhere it's not uh, working out listen, very well this, for me see this is the radio content you don't get on other podcasts <laughs> Wait, but, it real. You, know, you can listen to Mark Kermo but does he ever mention a bleeding toe <laughs> no he does not I bet his toes never bleed he probably has someone to wear his shoes in for him like the queen uh, he walks on pod water <laughs> he does <laughs> and it's very nice to be out and um, Anne has brought a gift <laughs> she has brought me a fantastic what goes around mug <laughs> and it's got our little logo with our little faces on it drawn by the marvelous tim um and uh it, it's very nice but you've ordered a left-handed mug 
Well, this is what happens when I get put in charge of something. Um, so, you know, I mean, you very kindly have taken on a lot of the practical responsibilities for the <laughs> podcast and a very good job you're doing as well. Hang and the, the responsibility of uh, the merchandise was put on me. And, you know, not having the eye or the patience to do anything properly, really, ever, um, I, uh, I put the logo on the wrong side of the mug. So it is a lefty mug. But as you pointed out earlier... It's a nice opportunity to, for us to look at our own faces while we're drinking. Yeah, because if you're a right-hander, you look at your own face every time you drink. Whereas normally you'd spend money on a mug and you couldn't even see it. It was just showing out to everyone else. Also, um, we could sell this as a, like, uh, hey, left-handers out in the universe. Yeah. We care about you. We're, we're going to bring you the mug that you deserve. <laughs> you know, when everyone else is bringing out right-hand mugs, we're going to bring you a left-hand mug. Inclusive, yeah. There'll be many people out there now, a bit like me, maybe an hour ago, who had never even considered that there were left-handed or right-handed mugs in the world, that all mugs were the same. All mugs created equal <laughs> under Royal Dalton. <laughs> but wasn't, uh, wasn't it you who pointed it out, pointed out my error to me? I never would have noticed either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> what animal is that? Something howling. Is that a goat? Uh, that's a cockerel. That's a, a cockerel. cockerl okay. Yeah. Hackney City Farm, big up. I tell you, he'd like this. Mel Harrison would enjoy this. That's true. Her Seriously. podcast is oh. doing phenomenally well, and rightly so. Yeah, it's called The Stubborn Light of Things, and if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. It's really nice. It's just her walking around in her idyllic little Suffolk country village, listening to animals and things. It's really rather sweet. And what I really like about it is it's just like, oh, this was all the way through it. And it makes it feel, you know, like David Attenborough used to do that thing when he'd meet the gorillas, and he'd be like, here they are all gathered together and the way he whispered it just made it really exciting yeah. and I, I feel that every time I listen to the stubborn light of things I get a little bit bird happy she's got that she, Mel would make a good David Attenborough actually I know what you mean I always remember that that footage of him really sweaty next to the termite mound yes. whispering yeah. so as not to wake up to <laughs> disturb the termites <laughs> no not every presenter cares that much <laughs> it's true god bless him oh more oh, yeah. the urban soundscape. Yeah, there we go. Eamon, do you want to tell me what goes around? Uh, what goes around? Well, um, I think I'd like to talk about um, people who have stood up for the last little while. We have had um, some trying times, what with COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter and the civil rights movement in America and indeed here as well. Let's not pretend everything's rosy in this garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was looking at the uh, music industry and just seeing, you know, who's done what. Um, Post-Human on Twitter, the great acid edgelord of noises. Um, he, he makes acid house records. <laughs> that didn't make that didn't <laughs> As a layman, I kind of got what you were saying. The marvellous post-human who makes acid house records <laughs> said on... Uh, he, he posted a thing on Twitter, uh, which is like a, a sort of checklist of what all the big music companies had done during these two pandemics. And Bandcamp have totally stood up and they've looked after people They've looked after their artists immediately, straight away, not, not like six weeks mm. in. The very first week, they were like, okay, Friday, no fees, you take your money, yeah, blah, blah, amazing. blah. Um, they've really helped their artists get through this. Whereas the likes of Spotify and iTunes and, you know, countless others, to be honest, I could go on, um, they haven't really done very much. And the same goes for Black Lives Matter, really. It, 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 it takes a bit more than just chucking up a playlist, I think, 
um, I think they need to try a bit harder. Absolutely, and also like you know, there's the danger uh, if you're not doing much and then you chuck up a playlist that you're just using it as kind of a cool PR exercise, yeah. you know, attaching yourself to the brand of the cause without yeah. actually doing anything. So explain what exactly Bandcamp did. Well, they've, they've really um, upped the profile of, of their artists and they, they basically said, like, we'll give you certain days where um, you take all of the percentage so, so they're not taking any cut from the music. And what's great is they've helped advertise that as well and people have gone in on those days specifically uh, and the bands have got behind it and tried to throw in little extras here and there. And so the fans have got what they wanted, the bands have got paid properly and Bandcamp have come out looking like total heroes in my eyes. I think they've done really well. I lumped myself in there because uh, I saw the um, Corner Shop, which, uh, their album England is a Garden uh, has become my lockdown album. Mm. And uh, uh, basically after streaming it for a few months, God, I miss record shops. Oh. <laughs> Let's not even oh, go I mean, there. I'm going on about Bandcamp, but I really <laughs> do miss record shops. But um, I, uh, I decided I really wanted to get a, a proper copy of, of Corner Shop. And of course, all the record shops are pretty much down and even the ones that were doing the mail order, they didn't have the nice limited edition. But I saw on Bandcamp, they still had the colour vinyl. So I ordered it, and just brilliantly, uh, nine o'clock at night, you know, sunny evening, uh, we were kind of just about sort of retiring. We were, there's a little yard in front of our a compound, really, I'd say you'd call it. It's not really a, <laughs> not really a, a beautiful thing, but it's a, a space of concrete mm. with some gates. And uh, we all sat around there, and we were just about to go in, and uh, this woman walking a dog came up, and said, hello, are you from number one? <laughs> we're like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she handed it me a Corner Shop album. So nice. So nice, because I'm not even through the postal system, but actually just like, oh, Maureen, you're going that way. <laughs> go, go pop in and see Black Wax Solution. <laughs> Give him one of those. So I got it, and then I, I took it upstairs, and lo and behold, there it was, beautiful coloured vinyl, yeah. massive big poster, great album, most importantly, but also, really sweetly, to Jinder from Corner Shop, and sent me a little signed postcard saying, I hope you're all right, you know, good luck. And I didn't, I didn't expect it, but then you realise yeah. that Bandcamp isn't a record company. Mm. Bandcamp, those people on there, they're doing it themselves, and they're just using, you know, this kind of thing to advertise their words. And sure, most of the time they take a cut, but they're not irresponsible with it. Yeah. And I think that has just got to get a little round of applause from anyone who works in the music 100%. industry. 100%. Uh, uh, on the subject of Corner Shop, I think I told you this the other day, I went to, um, before lockdown, and the weeks before lockdown, a couple of my sister's Irish friends were over. Well, one of them actually lives in Boise, Idaho, and he looks like an actual literal leprechaun. I, I, I think Boise, Idaho is a made-up place. <laughs> it I don't may think well it's real. Be. He certainly looks like a mythical creature. I'm sure he must have so much fun over there because he 100% looks like what someone from the Midwest in America would imagine a person from Ireland to look like. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we were out in Soho, and you know when like you have a place you want to go to, and it might be a good night or it might be a bad night, and it's all on you, and you're just like, let's go to this place, and you're really hoping that it's going to be a good night. We, I, I, I decided to lead the pack and go to the social, one of my favourite places in the whole, one of the only good places left in central London, I think. And um, so I was like, let's go to the social. Everyone was a bit sceptical. It was a bit of a walk away from where we were. 
but we packed off there, got in, and it was just one of those nights where mm. everything was just going off. It was Ramo, um, full of lovely people, full of dancing, and they were corner shop DJ, and it was their album Smart. launch. They're DJing upstairs, playing all of these great Northern Soul seven inches, and you know when that happens, and you're just like, yeah, you're welcome, you guys. You just feel like the king of everything because you've instant, you've been the conduit for this great night. You took them there, and now it's they were better all people. On it. Exactly. But anyway, so um, this fella, my sister's friend, was like, uh, "What? Are you joking?" corner shopper DJ oh I can't believe it I have to go and say hello I've got to say hi to them I just I have to so he makes his way across the crowd and upstairs at the social the decks are just on the bar so like and the the door to the toilets are are next to them so you do run the risk anytime you play there of someone knocking the needle off or whatever Uh, but uh you know, my uh, my friend went up to the uh, up to the decks, made his way through the crowd. Five seconds later, you just hear oh. the dancing stops, the music stops. <laughs> Hello, great! <laughs> yeah, 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 oh exactly. man! So obviously, yeah, he knocked the needle off their record. Apparently, they were very, very nice about it. I'm far less nice. I was going to say, I, mean, I would not be happy at all. I'm I like, res- yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Look at what you've done. I've said that to people before. This was you. You did this. <laughs> um, but yeah, he shook their hands and stuff, and then was mortified. And I imagine their music will be tainted for him forevermore now after that experience. But yes, lovely guys. Lovely guys indeed. Just a little update as well on yeah. something. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we did a piece on K-pop fans, mm. you know, and we went to the K-pop pop-up shop in Bethnal Green and met some very nice girl there who told us all about... Some very nice girl. Let me rephrase that. We... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's perfect. Yeah, uh, we'll leave it in. Um, yeah, so we met this very nice girl, very nice girl, and she told us all about K-pop and opened our eyes to the world of Korean pop music. Uh, and um, today, I just read a really brilliant thing. Uh, going through all the tragic news about um, the Black Lives Matter movement and all the upset and racial tension, especially in America, and there's, uh, as well as the Black Lives Matter, there is obviously the... Um, slightly idiotic white lives matter uh, hashtag um so everyone of a right mind kind of can kind of see that this these things aren't really equivocable um and who's going to rescue us from this kind of like white supremacist uh, angle well it's only k-pop fans isn't it <laughs> k-pop fans have just seized, agitating and organizing they just they just decided i don't know how they decide these things there must be a big k-pop conference they go to <laughs> but sure they decided um fuck white lives matter let's get involved and they flooded the hashtag with just k-pop so that so if you search the hashtag there's like there's like an angry guy from missouri going yeah 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 and then it's just like we love this band and look at this girl dance and look here's five minutes of a weird anime cartoon and it's all k-pop fans and they've just basically flattened that entire hashtag so there's no value in it for the for the the causes that it was trying to progress and big up k-pop that is fabulous what a good idea see that's as rock and roll as anything you get in the west agree too bad the music is shit but whatever hey (laughs) (laughs) it's just i'm a fan now (laughs) (laughs) i quite liked it again kind of i think because as i edited it i became indoctrinated 
I think you you hear because they're so hooky and catchy. I mean, they are kind of absolute schmaltz. It's just like bad Eurovision. I don't find them hooky or catchy. I think think, think it's better than that. I think it's better than that. But um, yeah, I mean, fuck it. Anyway, it's not for us. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It's not for us. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. Our guest today is the wonderful Karen Arthur, a wise woman with a loud laugh and a warm heart who has always been a big influence on me long before she became a big influencer on Instagram. A former dancer and teacher, Karen has reinvented herself as a fashion designer. Her label, Redskin Gal, has become more than just a clothing company. Through her blogging on mental health and the ageing process, she has become an ally, an educator and an inspiration to many with her wear your happy philosophy. We are very pleased to welcome Karen Arthur. Yay! Can I talk now? Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you can talk, you can laugh. I can talk, I can laugh. Wow, that's quite an introduction. Uh, you didn't really get anything wrong. Well done, Eamon. So proud of you, darling. So when we did Mel Harrison, I, I had to do it eight times. <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. Anyway, it is a joy to have you on What Goes Around. Oh, thank um, you. Not only because you're brilliant, but because um, uh, I've known you for a very long time. Uh, we were neighbours back in the day mm-hmm. and kind of grew up alongside each other mm-hmm. and um, just uh, shared a lot of memories and a lot of good times. And even on my, oh, I know it's going to be a good selection of music because on my 45th birthday, Karen rocked up to my 45th birthday party with her 45 RPM singles. And only gave me the whole collection. What? Yeah. There are, no, can I just... Cl- hello. Hello. Yeah. Long, <laughs> still long, <laughs> long loan. Long loan. Long loan, yeah. Well, I'm basically, it's sitting like in my attic. I do not have a record player. They were sitting in my attic. And I just thought, who better to give them to, you know, a good home? Yeah. So, well, yeah. I, did, I mean, I used that's them. So they, got played out, they got played out all over London. So that's got to be good. What's what's in there? What's in there? Give me a little taste. Uh, there are many brilliant things about Karen's uh, forty-five collection. <laughs> the best thing is definitely the best thing about it is uh, the the doodles that she drew over <laughs> the covers. Perfect. Renders the most priceless record in, instantly worthless. Oh man, <laughs> there's some brilliant. No, no, excuse me. No, they're absolutely priceless. <laughs> well, seeing as it's you, actually, it probably does add value. No, it, it, what I remember is the the drawing of a face. Well, it was a self portrait of a hairstyle that I wanted yeah. on the yeah. I wish Stevie Wonder. I wish that's right. Aww. That's right. And you yeah. can bet your bottom dollar we're tweeting that out when this goes out. <laughs> so how, how have you been keeping up? We've had a, a fairly tumultuous few weeks of everything. With um, uh, how have I? Okay. On, do you want the, my honest answer or my hey flippity jibbit answer? Well, yeah. you can you can either abridge or you can tell it like it is. We don't mind. It's been well, it's COVID, been COVID. COVID wasn't bad. Uh, isn't bad in terms of the fact that I'm locked down with my youngest daughter, who's 25 and lovely and great fun and likes to cook. Excellent. Perfect. Because I don't. And um, and I moved my sewing machine from my studio just before lockdown was announced. So I've been sewing, uh, making face covers, face coverings. So yeah. that's 
that's been uh, that's been good actually because I was a little bit worried about how I was going to you know uh, income and being a freelancer and that kind of thing. But yeah. the last you know week ten days uh, since the murder of George Floyd and um, you know what's happened with that and Black Lives Matter that's been that's kind of taken it to a new level. So I'm trying mm. to. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to keep my social media kind of to a lower consumption, but mm. also putting, I mean, I've always put myself first since I left teaching, I put myself first, but really looking after my mental well-being. So I'm, I, I'm okay. Today's a good yeah. day, you know? It, it must be hard because obviously, like uh, Eamon said, you're like a an Instagram influencer superstar now and your profile was like rapidly ascending, you know, even since I met you, uh, met you on social media. Um, and it must be very strange now that um, the tone of social media in the past few weeks, uh, like you say, has really kind of changed. So it's almost yeah. like, like you say, you're kind of uh, helping your mental health by avoiding it. Uh, that must be really strange for you. It's strange. Oh, this, well, hey, we're in. We're living in strange land. Let's face mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. We. I had a good friend. So just before that, um, a friend of mine, uh, Ty, the rapper, passed away. Oh, yeah, uh, we loved. He was a, a, mm-hmm. It's the saddest thing that because he was um, yeah. such uh, an inspiration. And yeah, he really was. He was one of those. Um, you know, people from the hip hop community that did nothing but good. You know, mm, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And he was a he was a real champion of community. We called him like the the gatherer in terms mm-hmm. of the village, that kind of thing. And because we're in COVID, the collective grief um, was just the outpouring of love and, and uh, support mm-hmm. was absolutely amazing. And it's just it's just it was just really really sad, and it it sent a lot of people kind of obviously we're really upset then we moved through this and and now we're in the situation we're in and I you know woke up one morning uh and my follower count had gone a bit bonkers (laughs) and I I find it as you say I was I have been growing my my followers and 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 whilst that's not a priority it means that I can get my what I want to say and my message out to more people. So mm. I'm here for it. But this, but this has been, it was more gradual before. And so yeah. there were people who came to me because of fashion, because of sewing, because of where you're happy, because of mental well-being, lots of different reasons. Whereas now I feel a little bit like I'm in a goldfish bowl. Yeah. And it did make me want to hide under the, under the table for a very long time. And I, I've, I've kind of come through that, but it is still a bit, it's just odd. What can I say? It's odd. People yeah. don't know what to do. I feel like um, there's a lot of work to be done, but I do feel a shift. But the, it was such a mess in terms of brands. I really feel they jumped on the bandwagon. I feel Absolutely. some people came from a place of honesty and other people didn't. Um, yeah. Hasty, Hastily, you know, botched together kind of campaigns uh, like Blackout Tuesday, which in some senses seemed like a good idea, but then people were putting the wrong hashtag. So that, mm. you know, the right information, it was just a mess. And yeah. I feel like there's this whole thing around diversifying your feed. And I, I, I get that, but 
if you look at it from my point of view, a lot of my friends, you know, black Instagrammers who are waking up one morning and suddenly 300 people are in our bedroom staring at us. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you just imagine yourself kind of sitting up and pulling your sheets up to your neck going. Yeah. Mm. And then there's that whole thing about feeling like you, something is expected of you. But actually, I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah it, it feels a bit like that. And I'm the kind of person that. I was talking to a friend about this earlier. Um, if someone expects something of me or if, if I'm told to do something, I I get quite stubborn and I'm like, <laughs> I would do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, so I went quiet for a bit and then I wrote a blog about it, about how I felt. And I published that. And once I'd done that, I kind of sat in that feeling mm. and I have a plan. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it was it was thank it was a lovely post I must say um, thank you thank you I, I felt a lot better having said it it's quite scary being honest and you get a little bit of a vulnerability hangover afterwards it's like oh my god what did I do but you know what I feel I, if I can't be honest then there's absolutely no point well, I, I think that's very much your brand isn't it the whole where you're happy thing is is not a it, I think if you know, if some um, big store had come up with that, I'd think that was a cynical bit of marketing. But knowing you as I do, I, I know where it comes from, and I know how honest that is. And it's that kind of honesty um, that kind of pours out of you, which which makes you such a a good person to listen to at times. Oh, like thanks, that. it pours out of me, Eamon. Pours. It does. Mate, it does. <laughs> I need a raincoat. Oozing it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but just keep doing it because you've got a, you've got a great touch for it, and uh, I'm sure you're helping a lot of people get through. So. Thank you. Uh, so, Karen, it's time to hear about your phonographic memories. We've asked you to pick three different tracks uh, that represent three different stories or three different times from your life. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's no cause to be uh, uh, judgmental. We don't pass comment on whether someone's selections are good or bad, but I do love your selections. Uh, I don't know if you have a particular place that you want to start out of the three. I think we'll do it chronologically. Sounds good. So um, the first one is Tea Connection. It's got to see my lady. I think it's the B-side. Basically, it's my, the first 12-inch uh, record I ever bought. Um, I don't know how old I was. 16, maybe? Anyway, a long time ago. 76, I think it was, wasn't it? Something like that. Oh, I was 14. Jesus. Uh, 14, just got boobs. Well, hey. And, <laughs> what a birthday present. I know, right? And um, I think I bought it for the, I don't know what that A side is, but I love the B side. I think that's where it is. And I just love the way it starts. It's got mm. this, um, I know Emin would sing it, but it's got this like guitar wah, wah, wah thing going on at the beginning. Does that sound absolutely mad? Yeah, it's a great tune. That it's sounds like what it sounds like, to be honest. <laughs> Don't 
that's it. Um, I I think I just met my boyfriend, a boyfriend, and um, he lived in a little village outside Banbury, Blockton. And so he used to visit me. And I like the, I love the idea. I basically linked my life with this bloody 12 inch, didn't I? Yeah. So it's like, got to see my lady. I'm, I just imagine him coming to visit me. Anyway, yeah, that's probably far too much. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. It's absolutely true. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> That is key. I, I love, I love, I mean, you are quite responsible for my love of tea connection anyway. Um, uh, so I do love that band. I hadn't heard this song before because they say it's on a B side. And I think there's something like really lovely, especially when you're young and you, you haven't got very many things to play, where mm. you just find a little hidden treasure on the B side of a single. I can just remember a couple of times that happening to me and it being. I was just overjoyed because it's like a secret no one knew. Oh, everyone listens to the A side, but the B side. Exactly, exactly. And I think I had that, and I had um, a Fat Bat Bang bus stop on seven inch, which I think you have. I do. I have that one. You're the coolest, the coolest fourteen year old in the village. Oh, (laughs) David Bowie. Um, What David Bowie one did I have? The Golden Golden Years on seven inch. That was my collection. So were you? Did, did you did you think of yourself as being like a teenager who was really into music? Because like that's not, it's it's not. But but those those tracks aren't necessarily like you know top of the pop charts. Like they they represent a sort of um uh you know slightly niche taste. We had a. I don't know. I hadn't thought about it before. I didn't think I was. I'll just interject a little bit because uh, I, I, having known you from from all that time ago, um, Karen was really bloody cool. That's <laughs> <laughs> the impression cool. I get. She was listening to the the absolute coolest disco, and uh, and then went into the very early rap and the the new Jack Swing stuff. I know this because I've got all her records. So what? But but hang on a second. So obviously you've now grown up and you're you're um you're known for being uh into fashion and where you're happy and uh, taste is really important to you and it sounds like the you, that taste was represented from a young age in your music collection as well so was it inter how was that that taste in fashion and that taste in music coming together was bowie like a style icon for you were you into all the disco garms paint me a mental picture of, of well, what you were wearing and what your teenage bedroom looked like so my teenage bedroom I, I shared with my little sister, Mandy. Uh, so it wasn't a typical teenage bedroom in that it didn't have like loads of posters up or anything because we weren't really allowed to put them up. But that said, now I think about it, my mum let me paint a mural on my wall, or I used to wow. call it murals. Mm. Um, a murial, as my mum would say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I was brought up living... Well, okay, so my parents divorced around the same time and I was brought up listening to Stax and mm. Motown and when my dad left this isn't funny I don't know why I'm laughing when he left she used to play a Frida Payne band of gold over oh. and over. the saddest thing isn't it but so I so my memories are of Motown and the Supremes and that kind of thing so when I was able to get my own uh, record player um I, that we had, oh my God, we had this wonderful record shop in town on Parsons Street, Eamon. Yeah. And you could go in there and I would spend all Saturday in there. You go to the front and you get you, you find a record, you give it to the guy at the front and ask him to put it on. And then you went in the booths at the back. 
That's right. It was called Osborne's. Osborne. Oh my God! Osborne's. That's when I found out that um, Elvis had died. Was it there? How yeah. strange! We were talking about that just the other week with BB Lynch. Literally, mm. yeah. I have such memories of it. everybody. All my other friends were hanging out up to no good in the in the new precinct, and I was listening to records in Osborne's. Good. So much cooler. <laughs> No, no one harks back to the glory days spent outside the wimpy. They they they, they look oh, at your record collection yeah, and go, that's nice. That's but nice. in terms of that doesn't answer your question, by the way. The fashion <laughs> side of it, I wanted to be a fashion designer and I made all <laughs> sorry, I'm making myself laugh. I used to customize or make my own clothes. I remember a school disco, it was fancy dress, and I spent ages making a black satin pencil skirt with a zip up the side oh saucy and, and a I had I customized like a sequined uh t-shirt type thing and on the back in sequins I hand sewed the words rich bitch it's <laughs> <That is> incredible <laughs> I was like Gosh, that is amazing and I came downstairs and my mother hit the roof <gasps> first <laughs> she was upset because the zip uh when you unzip you could unzip the skirt like you could pull it off like um making your mind up what are those okay. what, what are they <laughs> oh, um, yeah, yeah. right so you could take secondly i look like a grown woman and that yeah. that didn't go down very well and, and thirdly i had the word bitch on my back <laughs> and so i never i spent ages making this uh outfit and i never once wore it ever oh. where I is still, now? now i don't know where the outfit is but i still have the drawing I will tweet you the drawing that I made, lovely. that I did of it, of my, because I used to draw all my designs. So I, but the reason I didn't go into fashion is because it, at the time I thought I was lazy and I knew it was competitive, whereas I really liked dancing and I found out I could do a degree in dancing. So mm. I went to uni and did a performing arts degree instead. And I thought I was a member of fame and that's fine. <laughs> well, I thought you were too. <laughs> I saw fame. I saw that film the summer before I left, and I honestly thought uni was going to be like that, and it bloody wasn't. Oh. I can't believe you never got to wear your rich bitch outfit. It's upsetting, isn't it? My mum. I think my mum took it from me. I mean, I, I don't remember seeing it again. Yeah, she was well upset. I'm, my, I'm a. My father was a preacher, so mm-hmm. I'm from a religious. There's, I don't know what possessed me. Why I thought I'd get away with it. I think I maybe <laughs> thought I'd like slide along the wall and not turn around I remember I had a, an Inspiral Carpets cool as F t-shirt <gasps> and uh, cool. my mum found it and I, I looked for it I couldn't find it anywhere and then about 10-15 years later <laughs> she, she came sheepishly out of her room just when I said oh you can have this back now so funny Lesser. <laughs> indeed. You were um you were a dancer and you um you were straight into the fashion. I mean, I don't think that stopped though, did it? Just because you didn't do the degree, you were always drawing. Oh yeah, I made I my mother taught me to sew. This all kind of happened in the same year. My mother taught to sew me to sew the summer after my father uh left and at the time, and I don't, the story in my head was that she taught me to sew because I had hay fever. And in those days, the common wisdom was just not to leave a house. Yeah. So I think we bought a pattern for a uh, pair of, 
oh god, I'd I'd kill to wear them now. Well, not kill, obviously, because that's illegal. But you know what I mean. Uh, white, uh, straight legged white cotton drill trousers with a wrap, a wide wrap belt. Gorgeous, Ooh. lovely crease and side deep side pockets. Yeah, so I bought this cotton drill. Not the best thing to for your first pattern, but I did it, mm. and I just loved. I just loved sewing. But now I think about it, it will also have been, I'm the eldest of four, and it will have been a way for us to be together and for her to pass on, do you know what I mean? The, the yeah. kind of like a, I don't know what I want to call it, I want to say something deep, but can't think of any words because <laughs> It's just that, 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 that you know. the family wisdom, you know, it's the, it's the, that, the, that the, in things, it. the things that made your parents what they are and they pass yeah. them on to you and, you know. Yeah. So I, so I went to uni with, uh, bought a sewing machine when I got up there. And by uni, I mean polytechnic guys. <laughs> Before they were all universities. I was going to say, do we still have those? I don't think we do. Polytechnic. It's now De Montfort University in Leicester. Oh. So I bought, yeah, so I bought a second-hand sewing machine up there. And I sewed all the time. I just made I just made all my stuff, basically. And, mm. and, and continued to do it throughout my life, you know. And now I've turned it into my career, in it. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so, when, so you, all this time, then, while you were getting down to Tea Connection, you were you were you're in your own glad rags. You must, I mean, that, put put that all together. You must have been, um, you know, out on your own. I, you know what? I was. I never thought of myself as. I was just doing me. Yeah. I remember. Rocky, I'm okay. So I'm the only black girl in my school until two years later. My brother comes up, and then he's the only mm. black guy. Obviously, he's not a girl. So <laughs> I, I spent a lot of my time just trying to fit in, but trying to trying to do me. So I remember yeah. entering a modelling competition for Look Now, which was a a girls' magazine back in the day when those things existed. Mm-hmm. A very popular teen magazine, and I entered a modeling competition. I remember going to the audition or whatever casting call, whatever you call it, in Oxford at some the Randolph Hotel. Oh my God, the Randolph Hotel! And I wore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already excited. I wore. Well, I wore an outfit I made first of all, but the I'm thinking of the fabric. The fabric was like this disgusting cream, thick. Seersucker. Do you know what seersucker is? No. Six, six, like a, it's like a knobbly fabric. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> if anybody's, oh, seersucker. It's like, it's a cotton. Yeah. But it's got a texture to it. Mm. Uh, but it was thick. So the skirt kind of stood out a bit. A lot, in fact. And mm. a top in the same. So it had a lovely shape. But the best bit is, I, I put... A stuffed bird in my hair. <laughs> okay. What kind of bird? A small I, bird I, or like a was, pigeon? It, it was like a... Minor <laughs> oh, <laughs> bird? Parrot? It was oh, like God. a little kind of... <laughs> I want to say blue tit, simply because I want to say blue tit. I don't know what it was. But it was... And I had little... Um, I, I attached it to a comb and I stuck it in my afro and I turned up to the audition like that. And I got... I got in. Whoa. Of course you did. Whoa. Yeah, I got in. And I was whisked away. 30 of us were whisked away to London for a weekend. 
We did a photo shoot. It was the best fun. That I was been amazing. Was like 17, yeah. And I wore all the outfits that I'd made and I met some amazing people. Um, and I, yeah, and we were in the magazine, which I still have. Wow. It's incredible. How did your how did your parents feel about you going down to London to do modelling? Were they all right with that? Well, my dad wasn't around, so hey, oh, gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my mum, I never asked her how she felt, but she let me go. Mm. That's, That's enough. That. My That's mother's enough. my mother's attitude. Okay, so my father was uh, religious and very strict, and was convinced I was going to be a doctor, which still makes me laugh to this day. And when I was choosing my options. Um, he was leaving so I remember I have this vivid memory of me sitting on the floor and him sitting on the sofa and looking at my options booklet and trying to tell me what I was going to pick and thinking in my head you're going mate so when it came to the time where I wanted to go to uni and I said to mum I wanted to do performing arts I played the piano and I was very dramatic and still am mm. So performing art was the, a good fit for me. She was like, as long as you're happy. So I was off. Oh, so amazing. in terms of going for this weekend, this, you know, long weekend, um, she, she encouraged me. She encouraged me to just do what I wanted to do. And I was so excited about it. So, yeah, yeah. But I've never actually said, how did you feel? No. Mm. Were, you, were you hoping for a career in modelling after that, potentially, or was it just a bit of fun to you? You know, I'm laughing now because I wanted I wanted to do I'd done a few fashion shows and got some free stuff and uh, the I best remember, I love free stuff that's an incentive <laughs> in itself isn't it right <laughs> uh, I went to do you remember Blinkhorns Eamon? Oh yes yes Martin Blinkhorn is my tutor at college yeah well I went to Blinkhorns. Oh, I don't know whether I should say that. I don't know who the photographer was at the time. Let's just say I was interviewed to be a model and the suggestion was that I should perhaps take my top off. <gasps> oh, dear. Like a shot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of my perceived modelling career. Let's oh, just shame. Well, you know, he used to he used to roll up for our, our tutorials uh, riding a Ducati motorbike and he must have been about 50 then. <laughs> it, was, it was not... I mean... He called, they called it glamour modelling at the time. And page mm. three, you know, the, the topless lady in page three was still, you know, very much uh, part of the British mm. uh, tradition. And, um, yeah, and I was like, mate, I'm gone. So I had some pictures yeah. taken, me in a bikini and all that. But, no, it's, uh, it wasn't to be. And, that, and I'm very glad. And what's funny, of course, is that now at, what, 58, uh, 57, 58, I did some modeling and got paid for it so there you go yeah i can you believe i didn't mention the bleed modeling in your introduction <laughs> don't worry about it. i'm not well i'm not a model I'm, oh, you're I'm, gorgeous stop it but, uh, oh thank you darren i'll take that from you i don't know what accent that was <laughs> <laughs> down to earth model that 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 time then so uh, when you were you when you had your uh, your t connection 12 inch and all that sort of stuff not long afterwards, you ended up working behind the counter at Woolworths, selling selling me all my records. Actually, I will correct you there. It was Littlewoods. I never worked in Woolworths. Oh, was it, it was Littlewoods. You're right. It was that listen, that was a prestige job, you know. Oh man, I was well jealous. <laughs> I got a Saturday job. I worked there for a year. First of all, they used to do this thing where um, 
you, you always got, you know, really, really, really cheap food at the end of a Saturday night before shops were open on a Sunday. So, you know, I always came home with goodies. But also, I because I had, I don't know, I could speak well, I suppose, um, they put me on the jumper counter. So I was folding jumpers all day, but it was next door to the room where you did the tannoy. So if there are any lost children or we needed to say a special offer, I was the person who got to go into the booth, press mm. the button and uh, make the announcement. And how I didn't just belt out some, you know, song number. <laughs> how I managed not to do that, I don't know. Good it's to see my lady. <laughs> <laughs> Fourteen to sixteen, and and hints of there on, um, and uh, and we can add model to the CV now properly. <laughs> Tell us about your second phonographic memory, then. The one I'm thinking of is the message. So I went to uni, I went to Poly, and in the second year of Polytechnic, you got to you had to do a secondment with a dance company. And my best friend at uni was called Hilary Carty, lovely woman. And she managed to, I think I basically jumped on her coattail. So she managed to get a secondment in America at Alvin Ailey. So we went to Alvin Ailey dance school. We went to Martha Graham's dance school. And another one that I can't remember, but was my favourite, a jazz dance school. Anyway. So we went to America when I was 20 for 12 weeks. So I get, I'm staying with my aunt, she's staying with her family. I get there, the next day I get up and my cousin wants to take me into Manhattan. So my aunt sits me down, my aunt Nell, she sits me down and she gives me this long lecture about not wearing my jewellery, keeping my bag close to me, not taking, and by the time she's finished speaking, I'm freaking out, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> anyway. We get on the bus, we go to Dyer Avenue, then we get the subway to Manhattan. We're walking through the subway and there's a, a tall guy in front of us. He's wearing sh short shorts, uh, like a basketball vest type of thing. And he really muscular guy. And he's got a, like a, what we used to call a ghetto blaster, which is just a big sound system on his mm. shoulder. And I have this vivid memory of him uh saying i can hear him going don't push me because i'm close to the edge i'm freaking out because i think he's going to turn around and murder me <laughs> <laughs> and i so imagine you know i'm this you know churchy village girl small town girl who finds herself in the big big apple and i'm convinced that i'm gonna get hurt because he's I think he's unhinged because he's told me not to push him because he's close to the edge. <laughs> and I remember walking 
going up the steps and getting closer and realizing that he's rapping to the music that's coming from his yeah this thing um and then I really like the tune and I asked my cousin what it is and she says it's uh you know Grandmaster Flash and then I bought it I bought the 12 inch so there you go but oh, I, I, did you, you actually bought it in New York did you yes I bought that and I bought Planet Rock oh man oh. how cool is that I know. Amazing. I know. Which I still have. There, I didn't give you my 12 inches, did I? Yeah, you didn't. I'm still waiting. as well like um growing up where we did in banbury in oxford before the m40 i mean it was it was a tiny little market town yeah. in which absolutely less than nothing happened and um yeah, except you know, for the roller disco <laughs> except for the roller d yeah there, there was the winter that. gardens where they had northern soul night every week mate oh, I, I was too young for the winter gardens i see <laughs> but, but that, what, my point is that that to be then in new york and see this kind of fashion and see like the the ghetto blaster and to be on the subway and hear this new type of music and someone doing a new type of performance literally out and around as he carries his music around it must have been a mind-blowing moment it it was it was um I, I can't think of a word but it was vibrant it was exciting the the subway smells but even that was exciting you know mm. and it was um I was blown away. And now when I think back at it, what an opportunity, 12 weeks in New York on my, you know, with my mate. I mean, it was, and we went to block parties. It was really hot, long, hot summer. I was introduced to all her mates, so I fancied all of them. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, and then going into Alvin Ailey, seeing these amazing dancers being in amazing dance classes. That sounds really amazing. Honestly, it was an amazing trip. And I, yeah, I, I don't. I think I have a scrapbook somewhere of all. I, you know, when you keep keep all the 
subway tickets and all the oh, you know, lovely yeah. I, I i love things yeah. like I, I spent um a couple of months in london looking after my sister's yeah. place yeah and i've got a little book called the london book which is just full of little pictures oh, little gothic running yeah. around camden and stuff but these things are important they are and much more so it's funny because there's a when you're close to it, it's just what you do. And then then there's a space where you can kind of completely forget about these sort of things. But then when you have something that, that just jolts your memory, and especially if you've got a book like that that you can look at, something like that, it's lovely because you can't understand what's happening to you when you're 18. No, no. But when you're 40, 60, whatever, and when you've got a bit of time behind it, you, they, you, you see yourself clearly from a distance and that's and it was so and it was a fantastic opportunity i don't even know how because we paid for it so i don't know how my mum afforded it but mm. it happened and 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 i suppose these days like who does scrapbooks now you know my scrap i, I kept my scrapbooks i used to have fashion scrapbooks you know ripping up um vogue ripping up vogue oh my god uh <laughs> ripping up my mum's cosmopolitan you know Things that inspired me these days, it's difficult to find a picture because you've got them all online. It's uh, and we take more pictures. It's interesting. Yeah. The really. whole language of of, yeah. of images has just completely changed in the last 20 years. Like, yeah. like I remember because uh, my sister was uh, a peer of yours and you both very into fashion and stuff. And my sister's wall was essentially just cut out pictures from Cosmopolitan yeah. and Vogue. Yeah. You couldn't see any any wall at all. There was just like yeah. a little space where the light switch was. <laughs> but there was that you know it was like um just trying to draw in because we're in this tiny market town drawing in all these exciting things that you could only see in magazines and exactly exactly you know, building and your own world and it never occurred to me that i would stay in bambury now i think about it i always knew that i was going to leave and i suppose my my goal was to get to london because it felt to me like that was where everything happened mm. um yeah, it's it, yeah, scrapbook. I mean, I love looking over the fact that I've said to you earlier that I've still got, you know, this file, this uh, file of my old fashioned drawings. Yeah. And also doodles of all the boys I fancied and little cartoons. <laughs> oh, I want to yeah. see those. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bubble writing, lots of bubble writing. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Uh, bubble right was, was the big if you were a girl you did bubble right if you were a boy you did microscopic ants there you go. There you go. <laughs> or the superman s all over everything oh man the, the idea of being in new york and discovering that record as it came out in that exact context like or, or, that era of rap music is is like my my favorite probably more 12 inches from that era of music than than any other it must have been so cool i mean did that inform your taste going like the, the whole trip to New York do, do you feel like that informed your taste going forward like fashion wise and music wise as well I think definitely um that kind of early hip-hop has a special place in my heart let's just put it that way mm. and I and whenever I hear anything by Grandmaster Flash or anything from that era I think um oh, I can't think of the because we went we we went to a lot of concerts or clubs where there were PAs um mm. and we heard a lot of stuff that I had to then look for when I got back to, um, you know, back to London. Um, so that's definitely informed my taste. But then when I went to uni, I discovered um, the Jazz Funk Club. 
Yay. Uh, yes. No, not even club. The Jazz Funk Society, guys. <laughs> that is high end. Is I not... became a founder member of the Jazz Funk Society. Society did was basically go clubbing. That's all we did. I was like, you know, nobody <laughs> took any minutes. Say. We didn't have any meetings. We just went clubbing. <laughs> we went to all day. We went to Rock City and Nottingham and we just danced all night. It was wicked. Was amazing. <laughs> was there like a code of conduct for the society or was it literally just like go out dance into freeze? <laughs> I think there were only about five of us. Amazing. <laughs> Very exclusive. We just, went out. we just decided uh, where we went out, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was I didn't do any work. Don't tell my kids. <laughs> <laughs> they should know. <laughs> now, but they didn't. You know, a while ago. when they were at uni, I didn't tell them. I waited until you know. Yeah, that sense. <laughs> so, how did um? So, your 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 musical taste then really changed quite a lot because I think um, you yeah. you then found yeah. this rare groove vibe essentially and. Uh, that stayed with you all these years. I know you're you're very... I mean, I really like jazz with a twist, Mm. I'll say. Uh, I'm I'm very good. If you've heard of Jazz Refreshed, uh, my friends Adam and Bunny, and they, you know, they have this had, sorry, I mean, they run Jazz Refreshed, which was a weekly night, just four DJs who got together, and decided to take the music that they love into uh, like a club kind of uh, place. And they would have a weekly um, event, champion live jazz. But jazz, not as you know it. So often when you think of jazz, you think of, I can't even think of anything now. But, you know. Charlie Parker in a dark room with loads of stuff. Whereas this is jazz that is new jazz and it's championing live music and championing up and coming artists and people who wouldn't necessarily get a break that kind of thing and it used to be at the Mau Mau Bar on Portobello Road but if you know anything about what's happening in London these days Mm. you know that the music is changing and the people who own the places don't necessarily want people like me in there Um, Mm. that might be controversial but there you go and so they are they have now recently I think this week launched their channel so they now have an online channel on YouTube and they are putting up their, uh, you know, their music and their their work there. So I really got into and also because I was dancing, I would often we'd go to places where there were dancers kind of dancing to jazz. I'm the kind of person that it, I didn't need anybody on the dance floor. In fact, if anything, I wanted the space. So we would <laughs> kind of try out our contemporary stroke jazz stroke funk moves on an empty dance floor if that makes sense just like two or three of everybody else turned up 
and then the the place got packed. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And I tell you what, that I think this is something I, I think we've touched on this before, Anne. But um, there was a period in in clubbing where dancing was as important as the music, if not more so. And that you know people used to go to certain clubs to watch the dancers. That's right. That's right. You know? So the wag club, for example, if you went early enough, you know. Um, you just have the hardcore dancers up there, yeah. or um, I think there was there used to be a night at the Hundred Club on Oxford Street, uh, where if you went early enough, you know there was just a few of us. It was it was just brilliant because we'd just try things out, and I got to know people who weren't specifically dancers as someone who either had uh, was in her degree or uh, finished her degree. So there was that mixture of what do you want to call it training with talent with improvisation it was amazing it was amazing and these guys are amazing dancers they didn't necessarily have degrees you know they had jobs they were doing something else but at night they yeah. were absolutely owning the dance floor absolutely in awe it's know? the saturday night fever film come come absolutely. to life you know what I mean? there you go when you watch when you watch that you you, you do see Mm. A little glimpse, it's slightly different uh, angle, of course, but you do see this kind of living for the weekend and just, you know, the the notion of using your body to express yourself publicly. Absolutely. And, that, and then that, they, yeah. That doesn't really happen in the same way anymore, I don't think. I, I think that. I couldn't tell you, love. Who's going clubbing? <laughs> well, certainly. <laughs> Plenty of room on the dance floor these days. <laughs> we had a chat not long ago, I mean, I, I, you know. We see a lot of it from the other side of the decks because obviously you're playing out all the time or were before all this uh, hideousness happened. Um, but most of the time it is people just having a, a casual dance, let's yeah. say. But it's I know um, when Anne went over to New York to play a gig, that was a completely different scene, wasn't it, Anne? Oh, that was unreal. I mean, it was the, one of the most intimidating experiences of my entire life because you play a, a, a club, even in London, you know, you get people sort of slowly getting more and more pissed and sort of sloping onto the dance floor or whatever. Whereas like this was, I, I was sort of, um, uh, I was the the opening act on this lineup of DJs at this club in Manhattan. The, the club is called Soul in the Horn. And uh, just from the from like the, the moment the music started, there were all these dancers out on the dance floor properly wow. dancing like professional dancers yeah. like and there was yeah. this you know there was a circle in one corner with break dancing and yeah. uh, you know all of these people just unselfconsciously uh, just going for it it was incredible and uh, yeah it was amazing and I felt this this uh, terrifying responsibility to sort of <laughs> live <laughs> yeah, up it right. yeah 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 I love I mean I I love to go I, I love to go dancing um but I also have to, I have stipulations. So there has to be somewhere I can sit down. Yeah, uh, So, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> there has to be, I, I always, you know, when I go, I check that there are exits that I can. I have to, do you know what I mean? I, I like to dance, but I, I don't have the stamina I used to. Mm. Um, and, but I'm not, I've never been, this is the thing. I've never been someone who uh, went out, had a drink, and then started dancing. I've always been the person who had a pint of Ribena. And so <laughs> yeah. I went to dance. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's never left me. And and then when I was got older and I had a car, I was always the designated driver. So I was never really drinking and dancing. And my pet hate, actually, is people on the dance floor with drinks. 
yeah. I'm, I, I'm, the, I'm the queen of a, a really, you know, snide stare, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in the dark. Yeah. It really puts a wicked up them. <laughs> Passive it's, aggressive, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or a sharp elbow where it's needed. A Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Develop yeah. a very good sharp elbow dance. <laughs> That's, that's really interesting. We, we talked to Marcus Brigstock the other week and uh, he had a, a really interesting story to tell about how he basically, to cut a long story short, he lost an awful lot of weight and uh, then suddenly found he had a new body and started dancing. And he would go to the early rave and acid house kind of nights. Oh, wow. But he was the only straight guy there. Do you know what I mean? You know, he, was the, <laughs> he was the only guy who wasn't mashed up on anything because he oh. was like, you know, totally clean of all his bad habits um but he just went to dance and i just thought that you know that's such a marvelous thing and when this is all over and i get back out on the on the on the club scene well yeah and i i really want to try and search out people who want to come and dance do you know what i mean wouldn't that be lovely to get that going again there's the whole kind of uptightness about people deciding that they can't dance Mm. do you know what i mean and people get very yeah, they get very kind of self-conscious, but actually dance is expression. It's about freeing yourself. And for me, there's nothing, I know I'm a good dancer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not about to get, you know, be um, humble or anything. But at the same time, when I hear a tune that I love, there's no, I don't care if there's no one on the dance floor, if there's loads of people on the dance floor. you got to get and I'm dancing. And if it means I'm dancing, you know, behind the bar or I move some chairs around, that's what it's about. Mm. And, and I have to say, when, hashtag when this is all effing over, the, the opportunity to be carefree with other people and dance with wild abandon to music you love, there's nothing better. I feel oh. like now, during lockdown, it's funny, on Instacrack, I, <laughs> the, the, the posts that I put up often that get the most traction are the ones where I just decide to dance in my kitchen. There's mm. something about seeing somebody else dance that gives you permission to have to to to, to um, be joyful as well. And, and I will you- also say that as a black woman, uh, expressing my joy feels like an act of almost rebellion yeah. to me. You yeah, know, yeah. but it but you know. Moving around, moving your body around, gets the endorphins going. It's a win-win situation, guys. There's nothing <laughs> like watching someone enjoy themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, if, you, if someone's yeah. really into something, it doesn't matter what it is almost. Do you know what I mean? But if someone really yeah. you can see that joy coming off them, yeah. then you you can't take your eyes off it. And, and, you, and it shouldn't matter that conventional, oh, I can't dance, or I haven't got any rhythm, or I don't know the latest moves. In a sense, that's neither here nor there. And don't get me wrong, I've, I have been that woman, you know, or that child giggling at someone who's dancing to, it looks like they're dancing with headphones on. But at the same time, <laughs> they're having fun, they're enjoying themselves, they're yeah. moving their body, and also it's a privilege. There are lots of people who can't do that. There are lots of people who can't get up, can't get out, you know, um, I, I can't, I could talk about dance all the time, actually. Yeah. It's, my first, I, it's my first love. Absolutely. I, I do, you just mentioned the headphones, and I, I've got a, a really strong memory of a, a chap I went to school with who I, I won't mention because it might embarrass him. Mm. Uh, but uh, he would never come to the school discos with us, and we were always saying, come on, mate, come on, come to the school disco. So one year, 
I finally talk him into it and he showed up, but he, <laughs> this is so great. He showed up with a personal stereo okay. and on one side of the tape, he had uh, Live is Life by Opus. Nah, 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 nah. And oh, wow. that was recorded 17 times. And on the other side, <laughs> he had Ghostbusters recorded 17 times. Yes. And he oh, rocked out, him. got his space in the middle of the floor, and he just shouted Ghostbusters to himself for like two bless hours. It. <laughs> it was Incredible. Like, and at that time that would have got him a lot of ribbon but with retrospect and hindsight and maybe a little bit of growing up you know what it's like good for him good for him absolutely absolutely. i've got a nice little little curve now so we've we've kind of touched it already so we've we've gone from teenage you you know discovering the world of boys and dance music and your own b-side that no one else has and it's actually a song about your boyfriend coming to visit you which is lovely (laughs) and then we've got you innocent thing going out into the world and being shocked by by new york city and the shock of the new with the rap music and grandmaster flash and all that sort of stuff and a real life changer and then as you say you came back and and got into this different scene which i think probably leads us on to your next choice well i think the next choice i'm really hoping the next choice is glide that's the one my pleasure listen that song first of all can i just say it because where yeah, absolutely. You guys are bastards because <laughs> because it's not what I was expecting, that, right? Because it is impossible to choose three records. Mm, it's yeah. impossible. So, like, there were loads, but these were the first three that I thought of, and I suppose they're the ones that hold the most memories. But well, that's what it's about, really. What we always say to people is like, don't try and choose a cool record or anything like no. that. Just choose one that has a memory with it, because. It's really about the intersection of music and your personality and the time that you and the situation you find yourself in. I find that really interesting. You know, if you said, oh, yeah, I heard uh, Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel um, on the counter in Woolies on a Saturday afternoon in Droitwich, that had been an all right story. But coming up the stairs in New York. (laughs) Yeah, it is different. Definitely. Um, Well, Glide. I think this is another uni one, you know, though. I don't remember where I was when I first heard it. In the I will only say, <laughs> I will only say that, oh, I mean, I, I can feel every time I hear the beginning of that tune, I have to get up and dance. It's like, I, I can't describe it. It tells a story. That's it. I like a song a tune or used to like a tune that told a story so he's talking about his car breaking down isn't he and he's uh yeah it's it's just a great tune but it's a great tune to dance to and it's a a proper funk get down sweaty tune and i love it Thank you. 
I think it's memory. awesome when you speak to, to to adults who who have a firm favorite song, who are yeah. able to say, "This is my favorite song." I think that's really important. Yeah, and I have many memories of going out and asking for that tune, mm. and when it when they finally play it, me getting up and just not caring who was around. I I've met you know right up until you know a year ago being somewhere and it would usually be that I'd ask them to play it. So it was almost like it was my tune. I didn't mm. care who, who knew it, you know. Um, it's a wicked tune, man. So you, do you still find yourself, um, like, are, are you still, because a lot of people, as they get older, they tend to sort of build a little wall around their musical taste and just say that I, I've stopped there, I'm, I'm here. Do you still look forward and enjoy hearing things that you, you don't know? Yeah, I do. I, um, Jazz Refresh has um, opened my eyes to a lot of um, new music, people I would never have come across at all. Mm. You know, like I know Ezra Collective, uh, Katie Tatum and uh, Kadi Kamara. And I know lots and lots of musicians who, who are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, but I would I'm, <laughs> I'd be bold enough to say that I would not have come across them had I not come across Jazz Refresh. Big up Jazz Refresh. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where you get it from you know what i mean it, like that, that's for them i'm sure in the same way that me and Anne have this you know the best thing in the world is to play something and someone take it on and really love it and that that's that makes them feel good and it makes yeah. you as the dj feel good yeah. and hopefully it makes the the night or the or the broadcast or whatever it is make sense in people's lives yeah. you know yeah i'm often that that you know, lone menopausal woman on the dance floor. The DJ's played something that he thinks is obscure, but I absolutely love. And everybody else is drinking and I'm dancing and giving them the thumbs up. Oh, <laughs> you're the dream, the dream ponder. Yeah, we love that. We love yeah. that. You, you have rocked up at a few of my nights. And uh, I have. I, I've always, always enjoyed like the, the woman that you'll be, because you normally come and sit and have a chat with me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm doing well. If I turn around and you're just not there, and then I look. <laughs> Come on, there. He's going crazy by the bar. Oh, no, it's it's good. Dancing is, oh, it's just the most wonderful thing. It really is. And now you're. I, you know, I think you've uh, you've really um, made yourself a, a whole new um, whole new life, really, uh, through all the yeah. Redskin Girl stuff and the. The teaching and the mentoring and the just general sharing of of who you are and how you got here. Sharing of stuff, all the stuff. All um, the stuff. Well, I was a teacher for 28 years and never thought I'd leave. Hmm. I always sewed, I made bags out of Ankara fabric and I used to do uh, markets at the weekend. Um, so when I stopped teaching and I stopped teaching because I had a breakdown let's be clear about that mm. um, it, it it got to the point where if I, I felt like I would have to leave in order to get better um, and contrary to popular you know I thought oh I'll leave and then tomorrow I'll be better it didn't quite work out that way uh, I became I, I hit menopause I had a bereavement I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression all in the same year and so I had to have a good year of being silent and not doing anything other than going to therapy and coming home again. Mm. And so it's taken me 
what's that? That's five years ago now. I mean, I couldn't have imagined what I'm doing now five years ago at all because I couldn't see beyond the end of my bed, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I feel, but the reason I decided to take my the, the rest of my life into my hands is because I've got two girls and I've got two young women and they your kids watch your every move mm. and they no matter what you say if you don't you know they take notes of what you do not what you say mm. yeah. so I didn't want my girls to think that being miserable in a job or feeling stressed in a job was something you just had to do I feel I feel strongly that on the whole, if you are having a shit time, if you if your mindset can make a big difference to what happens next, and so I jumped, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and I, and it was fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, well, it's interesting because at the same time. Oh my God. I, I was doing the same thing, if you remember. Like, oh my uh, God, I do remember the conversations we had. Yeah, because uh, I was working in computer games um, oh. Oh, very, very unhappily. I, I, I had a horrible boss, and um, I just, I'd fallen right out of love with it. It became real drudgery. I wasn't doing the things I liked. I was just, it's funny because I remember talking to you and saying, I, I think I'm going to, because the baby was coming along as well. And yeah. I, I, I remember just saying, I don't think I can do this anymore because I'm just going to be angry all the time around this kid. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to come home grumpy. I'm going to wake up grumpy. And I think I had um, six months off. They said, oh, oh, right. which I, uh, I bargained with them. And I think this is when we had the conversation and I went back for two days. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you went back. Lucy's <laughs> like, I was left again. the second the first day i went back and i caught up with everything and i was i just got angry about a load of things that were happening and then the next day my kid was like six months old uh, obviously not speaking or anything yet but i was i was angry the moment i woke up and i was dreading the day and i knew i wasn't going to get back till six and then the baby would probably be asleep by seven and I just thought, God, I can't, I've got to get off this merry-go-round. I've got to get off it now. I can't, there's no point going back to that. But it's, it was terrifying because what was I going to do? Going to be a DJ in in my (laughs) forties. It it is. The thing is, is that we, we, we are, we're scared of so much and being scared of stuff stops you from really living, like Mm. really living. Mm. And as, at the end of the day, I left because I had to. I was ill. Mm. But I could eat. But the other side of that is I could have had time off, gotten better, and then gone back to teaching. But yeah. to me, it was like, no, I've, I've got to leave teaching. And um, I'd never imagined that. I'd never imagined it. I was worried. Because you worry about the stuff that you've committed to, like, I don't know, rent and mortgages and food. Yeah. You're addicted to being the mouse in the wheel, don't you? And you, you just... And you're- and we're taught that that's what you're supposed to do, though, as well. There's a lot of pressure. of Because the other thing is, I come from, uh, you know, a family who, um, you know, my parents are from Barbados. They're brought up under a colonial system. And the jobs that mean something and have status are things like doctors and teachers and things like that. And my, you know, I was like, well, if I'm not a teacher, what am I going to be? 
Mm. What is my mum going to say I'm going to be? What, how is my, do you know what I mean? So there was that whole guilt around giving up a good job with a good salary, mm. having mm. holidays and stuff well, like that. I'd just like to say out. thank you very much for helping, <laughs> helping me give all that up. And, and yeah. you know, suddenly there I was. Here we are. I know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm much happier, although obviously the current situation is a bit of a downer. But for the last five, six years, I've been DJing for a living. And and spending time with my daughter during the week, and that is the best decision I ever made. And uh, I think yeah, looking at your trajectory as well, you know, gone from a, a stressed out, unhappy person to someone that really, you know, I look at you and I I feel happy to know you. And uh, I oh, love that's I love, lovely. Your whole where you're happy thing is, it's kind of uh, it's 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 joyful. And I think that that's we've talked a lot about joy today and letting the joy out. And I think that's what. We <laughs> Yeah, and where I can think... we find you on social media, Karen, so we can pick oh, up on some of that joy? I'm one of those <laughs> annoying people. You're supposed the business people tell you that you should um, pick two, you know, platforms and get really good at them. But I like to be on it all. So I'm mostly on. Inst- I have a website. My website mm-hmm. is uh, redskin.co.uk. Two Ds. Mm-hmm. Um, I where I do my fashion design and my I'm a sewing tutor and I talk about where you're happy and I have a blog but I am often on Instagram as the Karen Arthur mm-hmm. and I'm on Twitter when I want to rant about something that I'm upset about <laughs> as Redskin UK two D's and I'm on Facebook as the same Redskin UK but mostly Instagram I would say fabulous yeah man <laughs> now we know where you are we're going to find you <laughs> <laughs> I found you a long time ago. Your your posts have been giving me joy for a long time. Oh, so thank you for thank you for doing what you do, and thank you so much for chatting with us. I feel it's joyful fun. just having been in your virtual it's presence. Fun. It's <laughs> fun. It's been you know what? It's been a nice distraction as well. You know, um, mm. because there's so much going on. It's nice to have a little reminisce and chat with a mate. You know, and 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 talk about music because yeah. it, it's yeah. important. You know. Thank you very much for coming along, and uh, it's certainly one of the things we want to we want to highlight in 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 what goes around is that um, that these little conversations and these moments that you share and 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 getting people to understand why you liked a certain thing or how it it affected you, uh, th- th- there's value in these. There's a value in Absolutely. these conversations, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. I know. Anne is going to be jealous of your grandmother flash story forever because she's oh, the queen of cheap hip hop. <laughs> I kind of want to. Go, I'm going to go and find that that picture now. That um, please, that on it. please do, please do. <laughs> well, I'll go and I'll go, I'll go and take the picture of your lovely uh, proposed haircut from 1978, whatever it was. <laughs> oh my god! And when this comes out, we'll show the world, Karen. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for that,
Well, as the gentle sounds of uh, Haggerston Park in Hackney gently fade away, or actually maybe ramp up in volume, uh, I guess it's time for us to go. Thank you for listening, guys. It's wonderful to have your support and your listenership so far. I'm so glad you're enjoying the pod. It's certainly keeping us sane during these difficult and crazy, I don't want to say unprecedented. I'm doing oh, everything I word. can. Don't use that, that word. word. Unexpected. Unexpected. Surprised. Crazy times. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it's nice to see you again outside in the real world. And it's nice to be at a park. Next time it'll be a record shop. Yeah. <laughs>